All right, well, let's jump right into our message. We're in our Recalibrate series, and it's great to be back with you this week, and we're going to be talking about uh, Recalibrate again like we have been for several weeks. So let's get your sermon notes out. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Recalibrate. Recalibrate's about three words, basically the definition. I gave you the, the full-length definition, the official one, if you will, in your notes, but then also the word calibrate, recalibrate, just deals with, with three things that we're trying to focus on. Number one, what is the standard? What are we measuring by? In every area of our life, we need to know what our standard is, so what we're measuring against. What's, what's our marker? What's the goal? What's, where, where are we shooting for? I was, we was at a volleyball tournament this, uh, yesterday, and, and uh, I was looking over my notes, and a couple of the dads from the team said, boy, you're really concentrating on something. What are you doing? And I said, well, I'm lo- looking through my notes for, for t- uh, tomorrow. And they said, what's tomorrow? I said, well, I'm preaching a message tomorrow. I said, oh, wow, okay. So uh, one of them said, well, do you want to practice on us? <laughs> I said, he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's about recalibrating. And so I gave him like the 60-second Reader's Digest version or Cliff Notes version or whatever version it was, short version of calibrating and talking about the standard and all that. And one of them said, huh, well, if my wife would just lower the standard, she wouldn't be disappointed so much. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm not sure you got the message yet, but you at least got some terminology in there, so... So it's about finding a standard, what are we measuring by? Because we're not measuring against our worst example in our life. We're measuring against Jesus and what the Bible says. Then it's about the difference. What are we, we're finding out how far am I? So this is my locator of where am I in my life. Here's the standard. Here's what God says, but here's what I'm actually experiencing. And then number three, we got to make the tough decision to make a change. If we ever want to measure up to the standard, guess what? we got to change where we are, make some decisions, and that's the conformity step. So today we're recalibrating our minds again. So in Matthew chapter 6, let's see if we can find a little bit about what our, examples, our example is, what we're measuring against. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Jesus says this, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we've talked about this a little bit, but it's important for us to see what is our example. We find it here in these three, or in these, this verse, these few words here it says, on earth as it is in heaven. So our example, our standard in life is on earth just as it is in heaven. I know that sounds impossible because we've been taught that heaven Totally different, totally perfect, earth, miserable, horrible, survive earth, get to heaven. That's what we've been taught too many times. But even from the beginning, if you'll go back to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we talked about this, that from the very start, from the jump, it was never God's intention to get man out of earth and into heaven. His intention was to get heaven to earth through man. That was his goal. That was his agenda from the jump. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make you, boom, I'm going to put you down here on this earth I made for you, and then I made you in my image and my likeness, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your earth where it, makes it, where it looks like my heaven. 
I'm going to work with you. I'm going to partner with you. And we're going to work together. And here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to begin to spread my kingdom from heaven. I want you to spread it on the earth. That was his agenda in Genesis chapter 1. And Jesus shows up and teaches us how to pray just to let us know that the agenda from Genesis chapter 1 is still in play in Matthew chapter 6. He didn't change anything. It's still our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's our example. But now the, now the experience, the, the difference part. You say, well, Chad, what if my earthly experience doesn't match up with the heavenly example? What if things aren't matching up? You say it's supposed to be like heaven. Well, my life is not like heaven at all in these areas of my life. Well, we got to figure out uh, sometimes if people, if their experience doesn't match up with the example just like that guy said, their tendency is they want to change the example. In other words, if, if my experience is not what the standard is, then I want to bring the standard down and I want to change my example. And this is what happens. Sometimes we'll, we'll build a theology based on our experience instead of on the example. Jesus says, this is what you're supposed to experience in your life. I'm experiencing this. So then we begin to water down the example and say, well, you know what? Not everybody can have that. I, you know, that, that person doesn't. And we begin to bring our example and match it with our experience. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to make ch- decisions and choices to bring our, ex- our experience up to his example. And we talked about that a little bit. So can we have on earth as it is in heaven? I know it sounds a little daunting. A little intimidating for someone to say, I should have heaven on earth. It sounds impossible. But the problem is what God was just, again, reminding me that we've had the wrong concept of heaven. We thought on earth as it is in heaven means perfection. It doesn't mean perfection. Because in the very beginning, when God put Adam and Eve on the earth, there was no sin. But he still told them to subdue and have dominion. Why would they have to subdue and have dominion in a perfect land? He said because he created a free free will society, a free will world where people had to make choices. So in my life, just because there's opposition, resistance uh, to the plan of God, to the purpose of God in my life, doesn't mean it's not on earth as it is in heaven. It just means I need to continue to subdue and have dominion over those areas of my life. I can have on earth as it is in heaven in the process of spreading the kingdom of heaven into my earthly experience. It's going to be a process, folks. Let yourself off the hook. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a process. It's a process. On earth as it is in heaven is not bamo, zappy, zowie, whatever. It's not immediate. It's a process. We're working through it. So our experience part, we want to make sure and understand recalibrating our mind. Check this out. Recalibrating our mind is about changing our dominant reality because the kingdom of God is a present tense reality. It's in the invisible realm, the kingdom of God. And then there's the kingdom of of the world. So we've got these two kingdoms going against each other. There's this conflict of reality, and we've got to decide which reality is going to be our dominant reality. Am I going to live like this earthly world is the most dominant reality, or am I going to live like the kingdom of God is the most dominant reality? 
That's our challenge, right? Because we see, smell, hear, taste, touch the kingdom of the world all around. And we don't see the kingdom of God. We see the effects of the kingdom of God. So we've got to figure out how do I make the kingdom of God my biggest reality so that I'll live towards that reality and realize what I'm experiencing is temporary. It's a challenge. I get it. But it's, our, it's, it's what God's given us as our measuring stick, as our example. So recalibrating our mind is about changing our dominant reality until the example of heaven subdues our experience in that area. So that's the experience part. Let's look at the conformity. So the conformity part's about what do I exchange. The so first is our example, then we got my experience, now it's exchanging. Conformity step, if we're going to recalibrate our mind, we have to be willing and determined really to change something. The conformity step is about changing, or another word the Bible uses is repentance. We have to repent if we're going to experience change in our life. The word repent is very important. The word repent does not mean, I'm sorry, God. Oh, I'm so sorry, God. I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Repent is not... Coming and praying, whether it's an altar or somewhere, and just crying and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance, you see, I give it in your notes there. The word repent is a Greek word, metaneo, which literally means to change the way you think. Repent. Pent, like penthouse. Where's the penthouse? It's on the top floor, right? So repent means to come back to a higher way of thinking. Change the way you think. The word metaneo in long definition there is to think differently, to change one's way of life as a result of complete change of thought or attitude. We will not change the way we behave until we change the way we think. Once we change the way we think, we will, those thoughts will start to change our beliefs. And once we change our beliefs, our beliefs will determine our behavior. Some people are trying to change their behavior by stopping the behavior. That's not how it works. I stop, I change my behavior by changing the way I think, which develops a new belief in me, which off, uh, begins to give birth to a new behavior in me. So if I want to change what I'm doing, don't just stop what you're doing alone. You've got to begin to change what you think, how you look at something. So this is about making an exchange. John 3, 3 says it this way. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Here's about making a change, the conformity step. Unless we're born again, we can't even see the kingdom of God. We can't even see how it works. We can't even see how it operates. You ever been around people that have no bearing for God? You know, I've been around people that just have no, uh, no gauge for God, no, no experience about God, no knowledge about God, and they do ungodly things. Well, guess what? That's, that's what I did when I had no knowledge about God. So you can't even see it. You can't even see forgiving someone that abuses you. You can't even see that. Because you, until you're born again, God begins to open your eyes to begin to see a new way of living. But the problem is, too many times we stop at the seeing. Two more verses down in John 3, verse 5, it says that unless you're born of water and of spirit, and spirit, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. There's one thing to see the kingdom of God, and it's a whole other thing to experience the kingdom of God. To enter it, to begin to walk into it. And this is what God's inviting us into, to recalibrate our mind. Some people recalibrate their mind, repent, change enough to get forgiveness of sins, and they stop. They, they, they repent enough to get forgiven, and then they stop. 
They don't enter into the kingdom way of living. Repentance as far as getting born again is just to get you to a place of entering the kingdom of God. It's not the end, it's the beginning. God, we've got to recalibrate our thinking. When I ask Jesus to come into my life and I get forgiveness of sin, that is the beginning of entering a new kingdom, a new way of life. Do you remember Moses in the Old Testament? Maybe you've not heard this story, but there was a guy named Moses, had Ten Commandments and all that, but Moses got mad and struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. And so Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land. I thought God was a little harsh on him, but that's not for me to judge. So he takes Moses up. And he says, Moses, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land to experience it, but I will take you up and show it to you. Moses was able to see the promised land, but he was never able to experience it. And I believe too many times in our Christian walk, we're willing to compromise to only see into the things of God instead of walking into them and experiencing them. I don't want you to stop short of just seeing the goodness of God. I want you to experience the goodness of God. So we've got to recalibrate our mind. We've got to repent according to that. Now, once we do this, look, let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. How do, we, how do we recalibrate our minds to do this? How do, how do we get there? Matthew chapter 16. So the question would be, if, how do I enter? If you're saying, Unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We want to enter the system of God, the, the process of God. How do I enter that? We enter it through the gates. We're going to enter the kingdom of God through gates. So we're going to talk about that here. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse, um, let's go with verse um, 15. I don't know if I even have that on. No, I didn't. But here, read with me. Verse 15 says, but Jesus talking to Peter, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Woo, great answer. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That wasn't his full name, like Bar wasn't his middle name, Jonah wasn't his last name. Bar just means of, Jonah was his dad, so Simon of Jonah. So my, my children, never mind, of Chad. Hope Bar Chad. <laughs> Hallie Barchad. You get the picture. Do I need to go through all five of them or do you got the illustration? <laughs> for, f- for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So here we're talking about making exchange. And Jesus enters something here and go in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus introduces something here that's very important, something called the gates of Hades. I'll build, my, I'll build my church on this rock, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We talked about it a little bit last time. The gate is a protective place. It's not an aggressive place. So where is the gates of Hades? Is it a place down in the center of the earth that we need to go, and we need to bombard those gates and come back, not smelling like sulfur? You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. The application here, the spiritual application, where are the gates of Hades? A gate is a place of access or transition. So the gates of Hades, what I'm going to submit to us through this, is the gates of Hades is in our minds. The access points for the, for the kingdom of darkness is in our minds. The access points for the kingdom of heaven is in our minds. 
I'm not talking about being born again and, and from your heart salvation comes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about accessing the kingdom of heaven's ways. The gate to that is in our minds. And we're going to talk about how that works. So the gates of Hades, the access points of hell is in our mind. But notice what it says. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. They will not overpower it or they will not defeat it. Now look what happens. Here's an example. In this story, I'm going to show you an example of what happens when we open the gates to the wrong kingdom. Look at uh, Peter's example again in 15. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus' answer in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood, people, mankind, worldly things has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So where did Peter get that answer? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Where did he get that? He had a thought. He had a thought. And then he spoke that thought. When he spoke that thought, he empowered that thought. Jesus asked a question. He had a thought. He spoke that thought, and when he spoke it, he empowered it in his life. So much so that Jesus turns to him and says, blessed are you. What was he blessed by? Jesus' words? No, he was blessed by the thought. He was blessed by what he said. He didn't, it wasn't that Peter wasn't blessed until Jesus said you're blessed. It was the thought that came from heaven that brought blessing on him. So Jesus recognized. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. That sounds like my daddy talking. That sounds like the father. That sounds like heaven, however you want to say it. Blessed are you, Simon, because I know you didn't get that answer from this world. You got that answer from heaven. That's a heaven answer right there. Good job, Peter. We'll build a church on that kind of stuff. It's a good job. Jesus, notice that Jesus recognized immediately a thought that came from heaven. You ready? Read verse 22. Then Peter took him aside. This is after Jesus told him that he was going to be crucified, killed, and raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Let me know when you, anytime you rebuke Jesus, it's not going to end well for you. It's not, it's not, that's not a good strategy, you know, of your prayer time. Rebuking Jesus is not how you want to start out. Dear Heavenly Father, I rebuke you. That's not how you want to start out. So he took Jesus, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, in Peter's defense, he said this with good intentions. He said, no, Jesus you're not going to be crucified, huh? uh Far be it from you. I don't want you to die. And that's an admirable thing to not want Jesus to die. I don't, it's not like he said something evil, I thought. But notice Jesus' response. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, the same guy, he just said, blessed are you, Simon Barjonah. We'll build a church on you. You've received that from my Father in heaven, told you that stuff. That's awesome. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. How many knows that's a drastic contrast in 30 seconds? Blessed I am, Father in heaven, church building on me. It's awesome. Get behind me, Satan. You thought you had a roller coaster ride in your spiritual walk. Man, that's drastic from 
Father in heaven revelation to get behind me, Satan. But what happened? Jesus said, "Who am? ask who am I? Peter had a thought. He engaged that thought, empowered that thought, released that with words. Jesus recognizes from heaven and said, you're blessed because of that. Jesus said something else about I'm going to die and be raised on the third day. Peter had another thought. How many knows that we've all had other thoughts? <laughs> we have those blessed thoughts and we have those get thee behind me Satan thoughts. We got them. So now Peter not only had that thought, but he empowered it when he said, far be it from you, Jesus, this will not happen to you. He empowered that thought. And notice how quickly Jesus recognized the difference from a word from heaven and a word from Satan. Immediately he recognized the difference. And he, didn't, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Look what he said. He's not talking to Peter. He's talking to Satan. Why is he talking to Satan? Because he knew where the thought came from. Why did he bless him? He didn't bless him because he's Peter, because he recognized where the thought came from. He said, that didn't come from flesh and blood. That came from heaven. So I know you're blessed because where it came from, he rebuked him, not because of who he was, but because where it came from, this is why it's not personal. It's whichever one we engage is the fruit we're going to get in our life. He didn't rebuke him because he was mad at him. He rebuked him because he engaged in a thought that came from heaven. He got blessed and he got rebuked. What was the difference? Which thought he engaged and where it came from. See how that works? We do the same thing. He said, get, thee behind, me, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now look at the word offense. You are an offense to me. That word offense there is a Greek word, scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. It's scandalous. It's a scandalous word. But the word means trap stick. The stick or trigger of a trap. It's like you set a trap and you put a stick there and you try and disguise it, right? And, you know, poor little innocent animal comes walking in there to nibble on your bait. Boom, you pull the trap stick. Trap goes down. It's stuck, right? It's captured. When he said... Those words that you're saying, they are an offense to me. He was saying, your words, that thought is a trap. It's a trap for me. Mm -mm. I realize that comes from the enemy. And that thought that you engaged in, I'm not going to engage in it. Because if I engage in it, it's a trap for me to not do what my father brought me on this earth to do. It's a trap to rob me of the will of God. The enemy is going to try and put trap thoughts in our mind. And the purpose of those trap thoughts are to rob us of the plan of God for our life. But, 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 but be ready because a trap by definition looks good. If you're going to set a good trap, you don't set up a neon sign and say trap. You don't expose it where everybody can see it. You conceal it. You cover it up where it looks normal. You make it look appealing. You even put out bait. You put out bait with something that will entice something. James, we sin when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. So here's what the trap is. The trap is the enemy will put a thought in our mind and it will sound normal. It sounds like something anybody else would say. 
But you got to be careful because our example, our standard is not what the world says, it's what God says. It sounded innocent for Peter to say, oh, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. I don't want that to happen. How does that sound like something of the devil? It doesn't sound like of the devil. It sounds like something normal. Come on. We're going to miss the trap of the enemy because we get so engrossed in normal that we stop talking like the kingdom we got to listen for words that sound like heaven and stop listening for words that sound like everybody else. Just because it sounds like everybody else, everybody else says it, everybody else does it, it doesn't mean it's not a trap. Because what does a trap do? If you go for the trap, you go for the bait, once you're in the trap, it brings bondage to you. It limits you. It holds you back. Jesus would not have been free to do what God wanted him to do if he would have engaged or accepted the trap. So the trap is that I'm going to give you freedom. Let me say it this way. You can have freedom to say whatever you want, but not everything you say will bring you freedom. Peter was free to say, Jesus, far be it from you, you're not going to be crucified. He's free to say it, but that thought and those words didn't bring him freedom. It was going to bring bondage to him, and it was bringing bondage to the purposes of God. So it's a trap, it's a bait, but the enemy's going to entice you with something you want, something you like. He's going to put it out there. He's going to disguise it. So we've got to be careful of trap thoughts. He's going to give you trap thoughts about your spouse. He's going to give you trap thoughts about your job. You've got to be careful. Example, illustration, last weekend, when we were gone, we are going up to a marriage conference. We're going to speak on marriage for three days straight. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> and so I spoke Thursday night at a Christian school fundraise, fundraiser. And uh, so I don't know if I overdid it or what, but Friday morning we get to drive up there. It's like a six-and-a-half-hour drive, and uh, somebody calls, and so I... I go to answer the phone, and I went, my voice was gone, like gone, gone. As we're getting ready, we're speaking that night, Friday night's first session. I look over at Dawn, and she's like, I felt her faith rising immediately. So I had a thought. Here was my thought. I had this thought, you know what? I'm going to joke with her and I'm just going to say, hey, you're going to have to take it. I don't have a voice. Hey, it's on you now. And if you know Don's personality, that would not have been a great thing to say at that moment. So as I'm thinking, I have that thought and I'm getting ready to say it and I felt God just arrest me in that moment. I arrest me like, maybe that sounds too dramatic. I felt him say, whoa. He said, if you embrace that thought and speak it, you can't believe me for healing and engage that thought at the same time. But I just want to joke about, he said, which one do you want? <laughs> Looking at her, I'm like, Man, this would be funny. But it was a great lesson for me. James tells us a double-minded person is unstable in their ways and they will not receive from God. I couldn't joke and engage that thought and embrace it and believe for God to be my healer at the same time. So I had to say, no, 
in Jesus' name, I refuse you. But it didn't come out that clear. No, I didn't. So I, I began to engage for God to heal. And by that night, I was able to speak. It wasn't normal yet, but I was able to speak. And uh, so the, the trap is, sometimes there's thoughts that sound normal. It sounded harmless. I could have made it whatever. It's just, you know, what, you know, just a thought. It's just a, sometimes our thoughts, if they're not from heaven, be careful. It's a trap. It's a trap. We're not going to engage the kingdom of heaven if we're talking about things that were authored from the kingdom of darkness. I can't talk about my spouse a thought. I can't speak a thought about her or him that's authored from the kingdom of darkness and expect the kingdom of heaven in my marriage. I can't speak a thought about my kids that are authored from the kingdom of darkness. What does my, what does my heavenly father say about my kids? What does my father say about my job? I can't engage. Well, everybody else says it about the boss. Everybody else says it about it. You're in the break room, everybody. All the other kids talk about that teacher. All the other kids. It's a trap. Well, I just don't care about that stuff. It's no big deal. Which one do you want? Two kingdoms coming in, giving you information, and Jesus immediately could tell the difference. Peter, in one moment, engaged the voice of the kingdom of heaven, received blessing. The another moment, engaged the voice from the kingdom of darkness, and he got rebuked. We do the same thing. So we got to recalibrate our mind. Two agendas coming for us. Now look at what happened. How do we do this? Look at verse 19. Verse 19. It says, and I will give you the keys. Everybody say keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So how do we engage the kingdom of heaven? How do we do this? If this battle's in our mind, these thoughts, and we're trying to see which kingdom we engage, how do we do it? The Bible tells us that he gives us the keys for it. Now, if you have keys for something, what do keys do? Keys, you know, unlock or lock something. Two words that come to my mind when I think about keys, access and authority. If you have keys to something, you can get into something. If you have keys, you also have permission. If you have keys to a building and you're in there after hours, you've probably got permission to be in there. You've got access. If you've got keys, you can go in places that other people can't go. You can unlock doors that were locked to other people. You can get in there. Other people can't get in. You go in as much as you want. You've got keys, you can lock things up and prevent people from getting in there. You lock up your house, if they don't have a key, they're not supposed to get in. Well, when we're recalibrating our mind, we realize that he's given us keys. He's given us keys to unlock the thoughts of heaven and to lock up the thoughts that come from the kingdom of darkness. He gives us those keys to loose the things of God into our life and to lock up the things that come from the enemy in our life. He's given you the keys to do it, both the access and the authority to do it. How do we do that? How do we open up these different things? Look at what Mark 16, or Matthew 16 says in the Amplified, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. So in our minds, in our thoughts, what are we binding? What are we loosing? We are locking up, we are binding in our life anything that is not allowed in heaven. If it is not allowed in heaven, it's not allowed in my life. If it's free to happen in heaven, it's free to happen in my life. 
As I'm just praying this through and working through this series, my prayer more and more is becoming like this. Father, in this area of my life, on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever is not allowed in heaven, I don't want to allow it in my life. Is it a process? Yes. We're spreading the kingdom of heaven in our life. We're not expecting full coverage overnight. I just continue to spread, subdue, and have dominion. Every area of my life, in my thought life, I just say, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this isn't allowed in heaven, so I don't want it in my life. But you got to use your keys. you got to lock up the things that the, the enemy is trying to give your thoughts. I will not engage something that I will not accept in my mind. I've got to accept it in my mind, and then I begin to experience it in my life. Got to unlock it from that standpoint. Now, how do we do this? How do we, how do we get this set in our minds? Locking in the right thoughts, locking out the wrong thoughts. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Set your mind. What kingdom are we setting our mind on? Are we setting our mind on the things of God? Notice what it said back there talking about Peter. Remember he said, Peter, your, your words are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man. This is what I'm talking about. When you set your mind on the things of God, you will be full of the things of God. Most of the time, we don't have kingdom thoughts because we're not full of kingdom. we got to fill ourselves with the kingdom if we're going to experience the kingdom. The danger, here's the trap. Here's one of the trap thoughts that the enemy is throwing out to believers. He's trying to throw out a trap thought to believers that you can be a Christian without reading your Bible. And many Christians are trying to get success in their Christian walk without reading the Bible. And it's not a condemning thing. It's realizing that, listen, this is the strategy of the enemy, that he wants to bring us to a place and give us thoughts that I can be successful without filling myself with the kingdom of God. If the only time I fill my life with the kingdom of God is for a sermon on Sunday mornings, I will not be full of the things of God. I will be full of everything else. I will be full of binge, binge watching on Netflix. Or, and there's nothing evil about Netflix necessarily. It's just which one do you want to be full of? Doesn't mean I can't watch it. I don't hear that. People are like, well, it's just absolutes. No, I'm just saying, which one do you want to be full of? I can't be full of the things of God and never take in the things of God. I have to do it. It's just part of the process. He says, set your mind on the things of God. And so we've got to lock it in. We've got to unlock it. How do we, how do, we do this? Just last, last scripture that I'll give you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This scripture right here was a, is a life verse for me. Probably top five scriptures. I memorized this at one point in my life, and this, this verse really changed my life. Because I had problems with my mind. Most of you wouldn't know how, how big a problem my mind was. It was a huge problem for me, huge problem. I had to renew my mind. I tried to change my behavior time and time and time and time again. And the only time I finally started to change my behavior is when I began to realize the power of changing my thoughts. And so the scripture says this in verse 3, starting there, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Well, going back, this sorry, verse 3 is, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down arguments. Casting down. Notice what it's talking about. Casting down arguments. Where do arguments take place? Right here. Here's the battlefield. I posted this morning about Pat Benatar. She said love is a battlefield. Well, I believe that the mind, no offense to Pat, but I believe the mind is a bigger battlefield for us. It's a battlefield. This is where it takes place. Kingdoms are vying for authority right here in your thoughts. Whichever thought you engage in and speak out is the one you give power in your life. You're going to have thoughts that come in your head. Even no matter, we can go through this series, you can get everything awesome. You're still going to have thoughts that come from the enemy that come into your mind. We can't stop thoughts from going overhead, but we can stop them from making a nest. So he says, cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Against the knowledge of God. Every thought. How many thoughts? Notice what he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If I don't have any knowledge of God, it's going to be very difficult for me to take captive thoughts that are against the knowledge of God. I can't take captive thoughts against the knowledge of God if I have no knowledge of God. I need to know what God thinks about this situation. If I know what God thinks about this situation, then anything that's opposite of that, I can take it captive. You and I, we need to know which thoughts we take captive, which ones we let run free. The ones I let run free are the ones that come from God. The ones I take captive, and that word captive means literally to take a spear and to push something into a prison cell. It's not saying, I wish that thought would go away. I wish that thought would go away. Please go away. Please go away. Oh, go. Go in the cell. Go in the cell. Go in the cell. That's not what it is. It's literally taking a spear and shoving it and saying, you're either going in the cell or you're running up on this spear. Which do you want? And you put it in a place of captivity and you say, you thought you will not run free in my life anymore. You depressive thought, you discouraging thought, all these trap thoughts to try and bring you into fear, bring you into captivity, trying to bind up the will of God in your life, how God wants to cause you to flourish, all those, you've got to take them captive. And this is what God's wanting to do. We've got to recalibrate our mind so we can experience it. See, sometimes for us to experience freedom, we've got to grab hold of something else. We call it the law of displacement. The law of displacement says that you put something in so much that it pushes out something else. If you've got a pitcher of Kool-Aid and you want it to be pure water and you can't dump the Kool-Aid out, what do you do? You flood it with water over and over and over till the Kool-Aid is pushed out and all you're left with is water. Too many people are trying to get rid of bad habits by just taking out the bad habits. You can't do it. You gotta flood in something bigger than your habits. You gotta have something you grab onto as you let go of this. You gotta have something that you walk towards as you walk away. If you just try and walk away from something, but you don't know where you're going, you will go back to what's familiar. If I would say, hey, what's your plan for going to New York City? And you said, well, my plan is not to go to Atlanta or London. Now, what's your plan for going to New York? Not going to Atlanta or London. Not going to Atlanta or London is a poor plan for going to New York. It means I won't go to those places, therefore I will somehow end up in that place. But we do it. 
We think if we just stop these bad habits, I'll end up to where God wants me to be. It won't happen. You've got to set your mind on where you're trying to go, and you trust God that in the journey, I'm going to be able to walk away from this and walk towards what God has for me. It's recalibrating our mind to the kingdom. 